parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hey friends, welcome back. I am so glad you're here. I don't know about you, but this has been a week at our house. All three of my kids have had this random June upper respiratory virus thing that has just lingered. And, you know, everybody's been more needy and a little more grumpy, but I think we are coming out on the other side of it. So yay for that. If you have had sick kiddos, I see you and I send you lots of love and I hope you've had a good week. So today's episode is the third in my four-week summer series, where I am giving you the tools, strategies, and perspective to have a great summer with your kids. If your kids aren't quite school age, or they're homeschooled, or for whatever reason, the whole home from school for the summer situation doesn't quite apply, I still think these four episodes are going to be super relevant to any time that you have your kids home with you for extended periods of time. So two weeks ago, we talked about managing summer boredom and why you don't need to push academics at all during the summer. And then last week, we talked about screen time and how to manage screen time in a way that works for your child and for your family. And then today, I'm going to give you my four steps to encouraging independent play and why independent play is so good for kids. And then next week, we're talking about setting siblings up for success. So helping siblings work through conflict and supporting them when they're home together, maybe more than they've been used to. So definitely, you're not going to want to miss that. So let's jump in to my four steps to encouraging independent play. Now, we're going to start, as we often do on this podcast, with a perspective shift, because so often in parenting, the way that we see the situation, the way that we see our child in that situation, the way that we see ourselves and our role in that situation makes all the difference, right? So for example, with a meltdown, if we see a meltdown as a problem to be fixed, if we see a meltdown as a sign that we're not doing our jobs as parents or something's wrong with our kid, we're going to be really anxious and spun up about meltdowns. But When you understand that meltdowns are normal and healthy and a part of childhood that is to be expected, and actually that meltdowns are a good thing because your child is offloading stress, when you see things like that, it really changes the game, right? Now you're not a bad parent. There's nothing wrong with your child, and it really changes how you can show up. So toward that end, before I jump into the perspective shift required to really encourage independent play... I wanted to mention, I have a free guide for you that will change your parenting. It's called Six Mindset Shifts to Transform Your Parenting. And truly, these mindset shifts are game changers. If you commit to making these a part of your daily parenting, if you really try to keep them at the forefront of your mind, 
Your parenting will shift from this place of overwhelm and frustration and maybe losing your cool to a place where you've got this, even when things feel hard, because you're going to have the perspective to understand what's really happening in those hard moments. So you can download your copy for free at raisedresilient.com forward slash mindset. Okay, so now let's jump into the perspective shifts that are required to really and truly encourage independent play. Okay, so the first one is that it's not your job to entertain your child. I talked a lot about this two weeks ago in the episode on managing summer boredom. But here's the thing. It's not your job to entertain your child, and it never has been. Entertaining themselves is a child's job. And entertaining themselves through play is quite literally your child's work. And when you start to see it that way, then you realize that when you're entertaining them constantly, you're getting in the way. You're doing that job for them. And you're actually inhibiting exploration, creativity, and learning. So it is not your job to entertain your child and commit today that you're going to stop doing that. Okay? So that's the first mindset shift required to really encourage independent play. Here's the second one. You're not selfish for wanting your child to play by themselves. In fact, it's really important for kids to play alone sometimes. But I hear all the time from parents, you know, I'm on board with encouraging independent play, I think, but I feel so bad because my child is constantly asking me to play and I feel guilty like I'm letting them down. So if that sounds familiar to you, let me tell you the benefits of independent play. First of all, it allows your child to explore freely. Children are meant to explore. That is literally half of their job here as kids, right? That they are meant to explore the world. The other half of their job is to build connections with their caregivers, right? So our kids need to be able to go and explore and then come back and check in with us when they need us. When we are constantly with them and supplying activities and supplying them with ideas, we get in the way of that free exploration, So independent play also encourages creativity and social independence. So when your child is calling the shots, so to speak, he can try out different ideas and experiment with different social identities and responses. So if you've ever seen your child playing in their room and they've got two characters and they're making them talk to each other, this is exactly what I'm talking about here. But they are experimenting with different social dialogues, different conversations, trying to figure out, you know, who am I? Who do I want to be? Who am I going to be in social circles? Children figure this out through play. And it is so important for them to have this space to do that on their own without the influence of somebody else, especially an adult. Okay, so another benefit of independent play is that it builds confidence and it actually strengthens the attachment relationship. That's right. Your child playing on their own, not playing with you all the time strengthens the attachment relationship. Why is that? Well, think about it. If you're always right there, right, with the new ideas and activities, and you don't give your child the space to explore their surroundings on their own, your child might actually learn that they always need you right there. So we can inadvertently teach them that by always being right there, right? If we are always right there and we don't give them the space to play on their own, to explore, we can inadvertently send the message that, you know what, it's not really safe to do that. You should stay right next to me because that's where it's safe. On their own, children's natural tendencies are to 
venture away from us and then to come back when they need us. So think about a toddler, right? That they toddle across the room, they go check something out and they come back and bring it to you to show you. Okay, that's a perfect example of that healthy exploration. But if you follow your toddler and you are always right there and you're not allowing your toddler to explore, you get in the way of that process and you can inadvertently send the message that, you know what, you got to be right next to me all the time. So that can actually make separation feel difficult and unsettling for your child. That can carry through to separating when it's time for school, to separating when it's time to be with another caregiver, right? If we are always right there, it can be really hard for your child to then separate when they need to. So instead, stay available as a safe base that your child can return to when they need you, but give them the space to play and explore alone. That builds confidence and really does strengthen the attachment relationship. Okay, and so the last benefit I'm going to talk about with independent play, and this is maybe the obvious one, is that independent play gives you a break from being on 100% of the time. This isn't selfish. This is necessary if you want to show up as a whole and regulated person for your child. So with my first child, I didn't know to encourage independent play. And so I was with him 100% of the time on the floor playing with him. And it got really hard to get anything done. And I had so much guilt if I ever tried to leave him, which then he was uncomfortable with because he wasn't used to it. And I realized I got to do something differently. So over time, I started to encourage him to play on his own more and more. And lo and behold, he started to do that and really was thriving. I would be nearby making dinner or doing some work and he would be playing and both of us were getting our needs met and it was a game changer. And so with my second and third kids, I have encouraged independent play literally from birth. For a newborn, the whole world is brand new. So just laying on a blanket in a safe space once they're fed and changed and just kind of looking around is amazing. So you can encourage independent play at a developmentally appropriate level and with developmentally appropriate things at any age, truly. Okay. The third mindset shift required to really encourage independent play is that it's okay not to play with your child when they ask. In fact, saying no to some of your child's requests to play is a necessary step when it comes to encouraging your child to play independently. I'm going to dive more into what to say and how to handle those moments when your child is asking you to play in a few minutes. And then... The last mindset shift that we need to make in order to really encourage independent play is that when our kids ask us to play, they don't actually need us to play with them in the way that we think they do. I think as parents, we can start to feel this pressure to really play with our kids and, you know, get on the floor and do our best Elsa impression, right? But when we do that, have you noticed that your attempts to play often fall flat or even frustrate your child? I'm talking about as soon as you start to actually play and your child says, no, not like that, or you're doing it wrong. What gives? Well, this happens because when we sit down to play, we're not meeting the actual need behind the requests. So I'm going to tell you more in a minute about how to play with your child in a more helpful way when you do actually play, but it is okay to say no to playing with your child. I say no most of the time and I still meet my children's needs. So I'm going to tell you all about how to do that. But when our kids ask us to play, here's what they really need. 
they need one of three things. They either need to connect with us, they need to feel seen, or they're bored and they need us to allow space for their boredom, not fix it. So when our kids ask us to play, they don't actually need us to sit down and get into character and play with them in the way that we typically think that they do. So those are the mindset shifts that are really required to start to get into the habit of truly encouraging independent play. Because you've got to feel confident that you're doing the right thing for your child in order to tolerate their distress when you tell them no or when we start to change how we've been doing things. Because it's not going to be an immediate transition to where your child suddenly loves to play by themselves all the time. It's going to be a process. In order to go through that process, we have to have the right mindset. So those are the mindset shifts required. Now, my second step for encouraging independent play is to set up the space and toys in a way that is conducive to independent play. So the first thing here is that we've got to declutter the space, okay? If you feel overwhelmed by the amount of toys in the space when you walk in, your child does too. So research actually shows us that less is more here. Kids play longer and in more engaged and creative ways when they have access to fewer toys, not more. So less truly is more. You can literally go into the space and pack away three quarters of the toys and just leave out some toys. Make sure your child can see everything. And ideally, if every toy has a home, that makes it so much easier for kids to then put things back when they're done using them. So instead of packing toys in bins and hiding them under the bed or in a drawer, Put toys on a shelf where your child can see them. They will be so much more likely to be played with in that situation. Now, a word on packing up your child's toys. If your child is old enough to know that you will have packed up their toys, so pretty much anything older than a toddler, please include your child in this process. Let your child know we're not getting rid of them. We're just going to put some of them away so that the ones you're playing with have a little more space to be played with. And I know that at first you might get a little bit of pushback. My kids have generally been really fine with this. And the cool part about this is that a toy your child hasn't seen in a while, when you pull it back out, is going to feel new to your child. I cannot tell you how many times we get out toys for my youngest, who's 15 months now, and then my Older kids are like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. I haven't seen this in so long. And it's like a baby toy. And they will come up with some amazing and creative way to play with it. So put half of the toys away. Put three quarters of the toys away. And then don't stress about toy rotation. I mean, you can get fancy. You can do color-coded themes or monthly themes. You can rotate weekly. But I don't know about you. While I respect that, I can't keep up with that. So I don't stress about toy rotation. I just follow my kids' lead. When they're bored, when they're not really playing like they used to, I will just pull out something new and pack away some of the old things. It's not scientific. It's just I follow their lead and I bring out some new toys, new to them, or new old toys, right? And they start to play more in more engaged and creative ways again. So it's that simple. The next piece here, and this is key if you have a baby or a toddler, you need to create what we call a yes space. And essentially what a yes space is, is a space that is completely explorable, completely safe. And if you have a baby or a toddler, 
It's a space where you can shut a door or put a baby gate and ensure that they're going to stay in that space. Because when we are constantly going, oh, no, no, don't touch that. Oh, that's not for you. Oh, let me pick you up and bring you back over here. That disrupts independent play. Our kids cannot play freely if we are constantly doing that. So as your child gets older, their yes space can be their bedroom, right? Or even as I do this now with my 15-month-old, that I'll shut the door and she'll play in there for however long. And when I hear her getting frustrated, I go back. So of course, I've got a monitor um, at that age, but also all of the furniture is anchored to the walls. There's no choking hazards. I know that everything in that room is safe and I trust that. And toys themselves should be open-ended and multi-use, okay? So an open-ended toy is something like a block, right? That could be used to build a castle, that could be turned into a boat. I mean, honestly, even art supplies. So instead of keeping out coloring books, which are fine, we keep out just plain paper and colored pencils. And then the kids can use that for art or they can use, I mean, I've literally seen the colored pencils used as little figurines, like a little family of colored pencils. So the more open-ended the toys are, your child is more likely to play with those toys in multiple ways. I have found with my kids that the whole Montessori philosophy of using natural substances whenever possible is so true. My kids are so much more likely to play with something made of wood or like big river rocks. My kids love those for dinosaur setups or to build a castle. So we even have some blocks. They literally look like you chopped a pine tree into little blocks. Um, They're just little tree branch blocks that my kids love. So the more natural substance toys you can have, the better. And then the toys also need to be passive. What I mean by this, so think about it this way. The more the toy does, the less your child does. So if your child has one of those little computers where they push a button and the toy sings, your child is way less likely to use that toy in an imaginative and creative way. So this is really important that, you know, I've got literally one of those for my 15-month-old. It's like this little cell phone, right? And the rest of her toys are completely passive toys that she has to do something to the toy. The toy doesn't do something on its own, if that makes sense. Okay, so now that we've got the space set up and we've talked about the toys, the third step to encouraging independent play, you've got to allow your child the space to actually feel bored. Now, I'm not going to get too in-depth into this, except to say you can go back and listen to the episode two weeks ago on boredom, but to decide today that you're done supplying activities and ideas. And you can even say to your child, if you've been supplying activities this whole time, you can say, you know, I know that I've been giving you all these ideas about how to play. And I realized that's not very helpful to you because then your creative brain doesn't get to come up with ideas. So I'm going to take a step back and I can't wait to see what you decide to do. Also, never use screens as a cure for boredom. You can do screens. Listen to last week's episode. I talk all about using screens in a healthy way, but never use screens to fix boredom. When your child comes to you and says, I don't know what to do, try to avoid handing them a tablet or turning on the TV. And then this last part is key. Stop playing with your child every time they ask. Okay. This is actually a form of fixing feelings, right? We do this to fix boredom and avoid meltdowns and disappointment around us saying no. But remember, it's not your job to fix feelings. Your job here is to help your child tolerate and move through these feelings. Also, 
Kids can totally sense when we're technically on the floor playing, but our mind is elsewhere, right? Our mind is going down our to-do list. Kids can sense that. And so if you are not in a place where you've done what you needed to do and you are fully present and available, say no. And here are a few ways that you can say no while also holding space for your child's feelings. I hear you asking me to play. I can't play right now, and I know that's disappointing. I can't play right now, but I can play when I'm done loading the dishwasher or when I'm done working, etc. Sounds like you're having a tough time figuring out what to do next. I feel like that sometimes too. I know you'll come up with an idea soon, and I can't wait to hear what you decide to do. Or you can also choose to play for a limited time. So set a timer for five to 10 minutes and say, I can play until this timer goes off and then I need to go make a phone call. Now, when you do this, instead of actually taking on a role in the play, like we talked about earlier, this is what I do instead. I observe and narrate my child's play experience. So let's say that my son hands me a superhero and says, you be this guy and I'll be this guy. I will say, oh, okay, what do you think this guy's going to do next? Oh, okay. He's going to fly on top of this building. Then what? What do you think? this guy's going to do, right? And so I am just asking questions and letting him be the leader. Sometimes I'll just observe and I'll say, I see you're building a really tall tower. I wonder what you're going to do next. So I am really just bearing witness to the process here. And that is what our kids really need when we play with them. They do not need for us to actually get into character and play. And I guarantee that if you start playing this way, the play experience is going to be more developmentally appropriate for your child, but also more fun for you. I enjoy being there and playing with my kids so much more when I don't have to constantly come up with ideas that are not conducive to where my mind is at as an adult, right? And to hear my child constantly say, no, you're doing it wrong. It's so much more of a fun and engaging experience when I'm just narrating and observing. And then my fourth and final step for encouraging independent play is this, have realistic expectations. So if your child is not used to playing alone, it's going to take some getting used to, okay? So it's not going to happen overnight, but the more your child experiences the joy of independent play, the more they're going to want to do it. Also, it's normal for kids to need to check in with you, but let them come to you. I have learned this the hard way over time. Never interrupt independent play. There have been so many times that my boys will be playing so nicely together and I am just dying to go see what they're doing and I'll walk up and say hi and then I completely derail the play. If your child is engaged in a wonderful independent play experience, as long as you know they're safe, you do not need to go and talk to them. Let them come to you and I promise you that they will. And when they do come to you, fill their connection cup, really lean in. Give them a hug and let them be the one to let go. You will find that when you really lean in and fill that cup, your child will go back to their play experience. So also expect more check-ins and less independent play when your child is sick, tired, stressed, or just otherwise needing to be close to you more often. This is so normal. It's not a step backward. So my daughter is been fighting, like I said, this respiratory virus. And so she's been a little more needy and really needing to check in with me and nurse more often. And so she will go out and play and then she'll come back more frequently than usual. 
But when I really lean in, even while she's sick, she'll then go back to what she was doing. So she's going out and then she's coming back. And this is what all of our kids do. It's just that they do that a little more frequently when they're sick or tired or whatever. So those are my four steps to encouraging independent play. I hope those are helpful. The more you do it, the more your child experiences independent play, the more they're going to initiate this on their own and want to do it. Okay. So I hope this is helpful. Stay tuned for next week, the fourth in my four-week summer series, all about siblings. And even if you only have one child, what I talk about next week is going to be so helpful for navigating any kind of social experience for your child. So stay tuned for that. Have a great week and I will catch you next time. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.